you have your Bibles and would like to follow along, our text today for the sermon is from Proverbs chapter 29, verse 15. We continue in our series dealing with the family, and this is the second part dealing with duties of parents. Matthew, I'm sorry, Proverbs 29:15. Proverbs 29:15. There we read, "The rod and reproof give wisdom." But a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. We've all had the experience, I'm sure, of being in public and witnessing the shame of parents as their children throw themselves down on the floor, shout at their parents, go into convulsions, it would seem, tell their parents no, and even strike out at their parents with their hands. And certainly the sense of shame is elevated in a parent when this happens in a more public situation. But I can assure you that such acts of misbehavior first started in more private settings at home before they were ever evidenced in those public settings. Just as a parent can experience shame and embarrassment by such disobedience in their children, I want you to know, dear people of God, a parent can experience great joy and honor by the kind, respectful, and godly behavior displayed in the lives of their children as well. The Spirit of God teaches us from our text today that you parents play an important role in training your children to bring you either joy or shame. Which will you choose? Joy or shame? If we would have children that are wise and bring us joy rather than shame, how are our children to be trained? Well, according to our text, first of all, our children should receive the rod. Second, our children should receive reproof. Third, our children should not be left to themselves. So our first main point then, our children should receive the rod for the rod, God says, the rod gives wisdom. The very first thing I would note is that the loving use of the rod in discipline is a God-ordained means to lead our children into the paths of wisdom. The rod is an instrumental means, dear ones, by which God teaches our children wisdom. But the rod all by itself, I must hasten to say, the rod all by itself does not have the power to give wisdom. Only God can give our children wisdom. Let us be sure that we do not put our confidence, therefore, in the rod, as if this were a mere mathematical equation, that is, the rod applied to the bum of my child equals wisdom. It's not that simple. 
The Lord gives us these means to be used, but never to be used without absolute dependence upon Jesus Christ. Because he's the one who gives wisdom. This is a means to that end. The use of the rod without prayer on our part as parents, without crying out to God for the effectual work of his Holy Spirit in the lives of our children will not issue in wisdom. For as many psychologists, teachers, civil and ecclesiastical leaders today tell us that spanking will destroy our children's joy and security, stifle their creativity and expression, and cause them to be violent and abusive. The Lord God, speaking through Solomon, tells us that the rod gives wisdom to our children. Dear parents, the question is, who will you believe? Are you going to believe the so-called experts who are fallible in their knowledge? Are you going to believe the all-knowing and all-wise God who cannot lie when it comes to the training of your children? The all-wise God says in Proverbs 22.15, Foolishness is bound, that is, chained in the heart of a child. But the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. We need to talk a little bit about the rod and what it is. The rod is used here by God is not a cruel and unusual tool of vindictive punishment, whereby we seek to get even with our child for having disobeyed us. That's not the idea at all. Rather, the rod is a useful and profitable tool of restorative, restorative Discipline. You see, dear parents, the nature of restorative discipline is quite different from the nature of vindictive punishment, which is administered by the civil magistrate. Vindictive punishment is lawfully and biblically administered by the civil magistrate. Parents are not to administer the rod with a view to repaying the child for his Disobedience. You sinned. I'm going to get even with you by spanking you. That's not the idea of the use of the rod in the Bible. The parent is not administering retributive justice. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That's the role of the civil magistrate. To the contrary, when a parent uses the rod in chastening his children, he is teaching and training them in the ways of righteousness and truth. You see, the goal in the use of spanking, in the use of this form of loving discipline, is not judgment and condemnation, but correction and edification, building them up. Not pushing them down, not stomping all over them and trampling upon them, but lifting them up to become wise. Thus, biblical discipline is always to be administered in love and not in a fit of anger. It is given to correct the child's sinful behavior 
not to repay the child for his sinful behavior. Proverbs 13.24, Solomon says, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, He that spareth his rod hateth his son. Now that's contrary to the philosophy of the world, isn't it? We're always taught that one who spares the rod really loves his child. But God says that, that, that parents who spare the rod, who believe that it's wrong on all occasions to use the rod, and who will not use spanking when it's appropriate, actually hate their children. They don't want to do what is best for the child, according to God. I didn't make this up. This is what God says. The verse goes on, Proverbs 13, 24 goes on to say, But he that loveth him, chasteneth him. That is, disciplines him. And the English word that follows is, But he that loveth him, chasteneth him betimes. An old English word, which simply means early. That is, early in his life. The surest way to make a child despise his parent and harden his heart to discipline is to administer it in anger and to make him think that you are getting even with him. That is, I would suggest, provoking your children to wrath. According to Colossians 3, verse 21, to chasten your children in a fit of anger is to provoke them to wrath. Let me ask you, do those who have embraced Jesus Christ by faith alone continue to bear the retributive justice of God as they sin in the Christian life? That is, does God repay them punishment personally for all of their sins? When God sends physical afflictions, trials, suffering, heartache, death, and even persecution into the lives of his children, is God repaying them for their sins and pouring out his holy wrath and just punishment upon us as his children? Is that what's going on? If so, if that is what God is doing, then I ask, what did Jesus Christ bear for us, his elect ones, when he suffered upon the cross? Did he not bear our sin and all the punishment which our sins, past, present, and future, justly deserve? Dear ones, Galatians 3, verse 13 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. When the Lord Jesus Christ hung upon the cross, you remember he cried out, It is finished. All of the guilt and the punishment for sin which condemned us was paid in full and finished by Christ. Jesus took away our punishment for sin, both in the present, past, present, and the future. Therefore, now that we are God's beloved children through God's work of grace in our lives, he is no longer our judge, meeting out his righteous punishment and judgment upon us, but rather he is our loving father 
disciplining us for our good, that we might be sanctified and take on more and more his likeness in our lives. Just as we're taught in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 11. Listen to what is said there with regard to the discipline we receive as the children of God. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. And that sons ought to be understood as children, sons and daughters. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? For if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards, that is, illegitimate children. If you don't receive discipline from God, then you must not be one of God's children. This is what God is saying here. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, I think I just repeated the verse, moving on, verse 9. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us. Now notice the connection. And we gave them reverence, shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the father of spirits and live For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. But he, that is God, for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. And that is why I would suggest we as parents avoid the term punishment with regard to our children and rather choose to use the word discipline Because then we're making a very clear distinction that we are not trying to get even with our children by way of some retributive justice, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but rather we are chastening and disciplining them for their good. Now back to Proverbs 29.15, our text. When the Lord uses the word rod, to what does he refer? Can we as Christian parents not discipline our children by any other means than by spanking? Is that the only form of discipline that we as Christian parents can use is spanking? I understand the word rod to refer to the full extent of the discipline to which a parent can go. And thus, if the parent can go as far as the spanking of a child, the parent can also use any lesser form of discipline with the child as well. For you see, a parent does not have absolute power and authority over the body or soul of a child, but has that authority delegated to him by God himself. For example, a parent may not use the sword against the life of his child, like the civil magistrate may use against those who break the law. Nor may a parent exercise the key of church discipline against his child, 
like the elders of a church can use against the members who continue in obstinate disobedience. But rather, the full extent of a parent's authority is expressed by the use of the word rod. That's as far as a parent can go, is the rod. And just as the sword in the hand of the civil magistrate does not require him to put every violator of the law to death, but permits degrees of punishment, with capital punishment being the full extent to which the civil magistrate can go, so likewise the rod of correction in the hands of a father or mother does not require them to use the rod for every act of disobedience, but permits degrees of chastening with spanking being the full extent to which chastening may go. I draw this to your attention because some Christians seem to think that the only form of correction a parent may use is that of spanking. I believe that that's not what the Bible teaches. The rod is the full extent of the discipline a parent may give. It does not limit the parent from giving a different, perhaps even more effective form of discipline. For example, mere verbal reproof may be sufficient at times. Or separating the child from others for a period of time. Or taking away the toy that led to the fight. Or using... When in public, maybe your hand just to gently squeeze behind the neck, just to let them know that you know what they're doing and they're treading on thin ice. You know, that's a form of training and discipline. Letting them know you're getting close to that boundary and I'm just warning you. Is the rod a biblical form of discipline? Absolutely. Can the rod be misused? Abused or overused? Absolutely. But dear ones, so can every other form of discipline be misused, abused, or overused. Through the constant use of spanking for every act of disobedience, our children may in fact grow callous to the strokes that they're given in love. They may even build up a stronger resistance to our authority and harden their hearts to the truth. Dear parents, it is not a biblical use of the rod, but rather an abusive use of the rod to beat your children mercilessly or to strike them with your fists or to hit them about their head. Such abuse of the rod will not lead them to you, but will chase them from you. It will not lead them to Jesus Christ but lead them away from the Lord Jesus Christ. How early in the life of a child should parents begin to use loving discipline to train and to teach their children? Well, God does not give a specific age in his word. He simply says to begin be times or to begin early in Proverbs thirteen twenty four. I would submit to you that loving discipline should begin early and even in infancy. But just a moment before you get all upset as to what I'm saying here. I do believe loving discipline should begin in infancy. How do you discipline an infant? Well, certainly not by spanking an infant. If a child has been fed and changed and his bodily needs have been met, 
And it's time to train the child that there are certain times to sleep and there are certain times to be awake. A parent may legitimately let the child cry for a period of time as loving discipline rather than running to pick up the child every peep that the child makes. I'm not advocating that a parent let a child cry for hours upon end either. But to begin to teach him that his tears or even his little fits of anger and parents know the difference between a need. They can tell as they're around the children a fit of anger as opposed to a legitimate need. They learn the cry. They can tell. And so... We need to teach our children that his tears or even little fits of anger will not get him his way. And that's very appropriate to do with even a small child. Then when the child begins to crawl or to pull himself up to furniture and touch things that he should not touch, I would suggest that the use of the word no with even a little slap upon the palm of his hand is appropriate. In so doing, you are gradually beginning to train him and teach him. And when your child reaches the point, and those of us who have children know when the child, one of our children reached that point. When a child reaches the point where you know, he knows that he is disobeying. For example, when you tell him no, not to touch that or not to go there or not to do that, and he turns around and looks at you, And then he looks at the thing you told him not to do. And then he looks back at you again and does it anyway. You know that he's understood that he's not supposed to touch. He's not supposed to disobey. Then I would suggest that it would be appropriate to administer an appropriate squat on the bum. How about the other question? How late in a child's life may loving discipline be administered by a parent? Well, as long, certainly as long as the child is under your authority or living at home, when children at home are too old to submit to the parent's loving correction and discipline, then I suggest to you they're too old to be living at home at all. Generally, parents, the goal is to use persuasion and more effective forms of discipline than spanking with children when they reach their teen years. I would submit that the that with older teens or teens in general, the loss of privileges is perhaps much more effective a much more effective type of loving discipline than the rod. But even after our children do leave home, I would also suggest we as parents should never stop loving our children enough to train them, to teach them, to discipline them where they are in in error by way of our correction and by way of our persuasive powers to show to them that what they're doing is wrong. That still is loving discipline with regard to our children. Our second main point is that our children should receive reproof 
Not only the rod, but reproof, for reproof gives wisdom, according to our text. It is not only the rod that Solomon says gives wisdom, but the rod and reproof. Whereas the rod in Proverbs 29.15 focuses on the outward physical aspects of loving discipline, reproof considers more the verbal aspects of loving discipline. Reproof, dear ones, uh, involves verbal instruction and correction. And I would submit there is an intentional contrast made between these two words, rod and reproof, because they are put side by side. The rod and reproof give wisdom. It is possible in various circumstances that a parent may only need to verbally reprove the child for some misbehavior. But a parent must, listen closely, a parent must never administer the rod to a child without verbal correction and instruction. Even with a toddler that is given a little slap on the palm of his hand, it should be administered with that loving yet firm correction, no, that's reproof. No, but that's all that you say because that's all that the child can understand or even before the child fully understands. No, that's very, very important. As a child grows in his understanding, more and more loving instruction and verbal correction should accompany the no. Is it time consuming to do this? Absolutely. Does it require diligence and consistency on a parent's part? Certainly. But how your child will profit from the time you take, not only to administer the rod, but to explain in tender love why the rod is being administered. To administer the rod without loving reproof is to consign a child to ignorance as to what he has done wrong and why it is wrong. It would be like God sending bolts of thunder from heaven and we didn't know and didn't have the foggiest idea what we had done. No word of instruction in the Bible. Nothing. It is to administer harsh, harsh punishment, dear ones, without loving discipline in such a case. It is to send your child again running from you rather than running to you. It is to harden his heart rather than to soften his heart. The Lord not only chastens us, but as we read in Hebrews chapter 12, he also corrects and instructs us. He reproves us by his word and by his spirit. Use the scripture. I encourage you, parents, use the scripture in your verbal corrections with your children, letting them know how they have not only offended you, by what they have done, but how they have offended God and show them in the word of God how they have done so. What commandment have they broken in doing what they have done by way of disobedience? Our verbal reproof must be administered, as we said earlier, in tender love and not in fits of anger. The goal is to turn them to Christ and not away from Christ. Thus, dear ones, calling our children names like stupid, idiot, or other choice names, or uttering angry words like I hate you, or I wish I had never had you, 
are not words of loving correction. The use of such names and words uttered in anger are like swords to the heart. Most children would rather incur the sting of the rod than the sword of such a tongue. For the effects of the rod heal more quickly than the effects of angry, bitter words uttered against them in fits of anger. Watch your tongues, dear parents, and be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath, as James tells us in James 1.19. Dear ones, not only should correction be given, but remember, encouragement should be given as well. Those who have no encouragement, those children who have no encouragement to keep on working, or encouragement when a job is done well, will likely become very discouraged and want to simply throw up their arms and say, I cannot in any way please you. I cannot in any way make you happy with me. That's, that will be the effect that we will have upon our children if we do not give to them encouragement as well as reproof. Do not allow only correction to proceed from your mouth when your child does what is wrong. Let encouragement likewise be given in healthy doses. Dear ones, much more time should proportionally be spent using correction than the rod. It's much easier in some ways to simply get it over with and spank your child, especially when we're upset. But the patient approach of reproving and then spanking, if needed, will be far more profitable use of time in the long run. Plus, if we're angry, it will help us to cool off as parents. Have you ever considered that God is using the loving, patient discipline that you apply to your child as a means of sanctifying not just your child, but you as a parent? Ever looked at your disciplining your children as being God's means of sanctifying you? Because we as parents know, again, the anger, we know the frustration, and simply wanting to get over with when you know, our children have upset us to such a point. But God is saying, you need patience. You need to get a hold of yourself. You need self-control as a parent. That's what God is telling us. The Lord is teaching us patience, self-control, love, faithfulness, mercy. As you take the time to instruct, pray with, and lead your child as they grow older in the confession of sin and forgiveness of sin, taking them through that process when they are being disciplined, confessing their sin, what they have done, and seeking God's forgiveness and your forgiveness. I ask you parents, are you frustrating God's means of sanctification in your life or are you growing by means of this process of discipline in the sanctification in your life? Our third main point is this. Our children should not be left to themselves. For a child to be left to himself is simply to say, that he is left without loving discipline in the form of using the rod and reproof. The word used here 
in the Hebrew language is also used for cattle who pasture at their own liberty without any restraint. That's like the child who is left to himself. He has no restraints. There are no borders. He simply does whatever he wants to do and gets away with it. A child left to himself, dear ones, will bring grief, sorrow, and shame to a mother and no doubt to a father as well. But perhaps in a particular way to a mother inasmuch as she is the one who bore this child in her womb and gave birth to him. Let us not, dear ones, imagine that God ordinarily that God ordinarily saves our children and makes them a blessing to himself, to us as parents and to others, if we leave our children without the loving use of the rod and reproof. The words spoken about Eli, the priest, you'll recall, should forever be burned upon our memories. In 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 13. This is God speaking. For I have told him, that is, I have told Eli, that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knoweth, because his sons made themselves vile, and he restrained them not. He left them to themselves. According to 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 22 through 25, Eli did reprove his sons, but apparently he did not use the rod or some physical discipline to restrain them while they were young. He left them to themselves to run their course, their own course in life. If we as Christian parents would not leave our children unrestrained and to themselves, what guidelines and loving discipline should we follow? Let me just give you a few as we close out the sermon today. What guidelines and loving discipline should we follow as parents if we would not leave our children to themselves? First of all, be clear in what you ask your children to do. Look your child in the eye and ask him if he understands what you just asked him to do. At times, it is not so much a case of disobedience as it is a case of misunderstanding what you have said. And in giving your instructions to your child, avoid ending your sentences with okay. If you really are not giving your child an option, I would suggest that you not use the word okay at the end of a sentence. It's much more appropriate after you've instructed your child as to what to do to simply say, do you understand? Do you understand what I just said? That's kind. That's uh, considerate. But it's asking, it's getting a response as to whether the child actually did understand what you just asked the child to do. Now, you may mean the same thing by saying, okay. I just would suggest it's much more clear as to what you're saying. I believe that if we don't want our children to be rude, whether to us or to others, then we need to be aware of our rudeness to our children. We can't be rude to our children and be hypocrites and say, but don't you dare be rude to me. 
we need to be respectful in the way we treat our children. We need to be gracious in the way we treat them. Yeah, we're, we're going to be upset at times because we're the parents, but we must realize that, the, that manners and uh, the manners that we want to see in our children are taught by us. They imitate us. And so, how we treat them when we're disciplining them is very, very important as well. Second of all, be, before administering discipline, be sure that an express violation of your word or God's word has been committed. An express violation. Don't rashly administer discipline. Treat your child with fairness. Don't discipline him or her for mere suspicions that you might have. Discipline him or her when it is clear that he or she has expressly disobeyed. Third, don't utter endless threats about the discipline to come, which in fact may never come, or may be so long delayed that the child forgets why he's being disciplined after all. Parents who do, do so are really teaching their children not to trust their parents. Or they're making them wait in fear for hours upon end until dad gets home. And then you're really going to get it. <clears throat> when you make it clear to a child that such an act of disobedience will be disciplined, and the child says he understands and then disobeys, then administer the discipline that you have mentioned as soon as you're able to do so for the child's own profit. A child must be able to connect the discipline with the disobedience if the child is to learn and become wise. You must be able to make that connection. Otherwise, you will think you're simply being harsh and unfair. Fourth, remember there are degrees of discipline that may be used in the home, whether verbal reproof, loss of privileges, separation from friends, added responsibilities, spanking, and there are even degrees of spanking as well, depending upon what the child has done. I would submit that as parents, we should give a stronger dose of discipline to flagrant offenses, such as blasphemy, cursing, very conspicuous disrespect, Intentional violence, lying, stealing, and, and any willful, obstinate acts of disobedience where they have been clearly told, do not do that. And they have said, I understand, but then they very obstinately go forth and do what you just told them not to do. Whereas various infirmities and weaknesses, such as forgetfulness, Rashness, they do something rashly, you know, out of emotion, just in the spur of the moment, something that's not necessarily premeditated. Um, these type of acts on the part of our children, I would suggest, should be treated less severely. You may use a milder form of discipline for a first-time violation, but you may find that you need to increase that form of discipline after it's repeated. 
and repeated and repeated. Fifthly, be liberal and generous, as we said earlier, in your encouragement, commendation, expression, expressions of love, and in giving rewards for jobs that are well done. Such love will have the effect of making any discipline they receive much, much more effective. When we receive discipline from God and we receive those strokes, but we receive his word that he does so because he loves us, that tempers those strokes. We know he does so for our good. And so with a parent as well. Sixthly, if you would train your children to behave properly in public, you must be consistent in giving them that same training in private, at home. When parents do not take the behavior of their children seriously in the privacy of the home, why should parents be surprised when children do not take their own behavior seriously in public? The children at that point are acting, I would suggest, far more consistently than their parents. The children at that point are acting more consistently because the children are behaving the same way, both at home as they do in public. The parents are saying, you can behave that way at home, but don't you dare do that in public. Remember, dear ones, good manners, good manners begin in the home. For example, children learn how to sit quietly in public worship by learning how to sit quietly in family worship. That's how you train them, is in the family worship setting. Seventh, make your restorative discipline an opportunity to present the gospel of salvation to your child. Every time that you need to go through that process with your child, you're teaching them the gospel of salvation, confession of sin, forgiveness of sin, repentance and sorrow over the sin that's been committed, and then many, many embraces and kisses and restoration back into fellowship. That's the gospel lived out in our families, which our children can see. That's how God treats us when we sin against him. And our child can learn not only by reading, but by observing. Please note that the goal of our use of the rod and reproof, according to this text, is to give our children wisdom. Wisdom, dear ones, is not simply an intellectual knowledge of God's truth, but rather the ability to practically apply God's truth to all areas of life. That's the difference between knowledge. Someone can have a lot of knowledge, but not be wise at all, because they may, what they may know, they're not applying in their lives. That's not a wise man or a wise woman or a wise child. But one who is wise knows what God says and is seeking to apply what he knows to all areas of his life. That's what we want to teach our children. <clears throat> Dear parents, we not only want our children to know the truth, 
but to practice the truth as well. To not simply be hearers of the word, but but to be doers of it as well. The rod and reproof are God's means to give this wisdom when applied in love and by God's word and spirit to the lives of our children. One last question before we close. I ask you, who is called wisdom in the scripture? There's one who is called wisdom in the scripture. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. First Corinthians one thirty tells us who is wisdom. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Jesus Christ is wisdom. He is wisdom personified. He is wisdom in the ultimate sense. And so when we say that the rod and reproof, uh, the rod and reproof give wisdom, what the Lord is saying ultimately is that the rod and reproof lead our children to Jesus Christ. Who is wisdom? That's awesome. Consider that not only the word of God is a means of drawing our children to Christ, not only our prayers are a means of drawing our children to Jesus Christ, not only their baptism. And what their baptism means is a, is a means of drawing your children to Jesus Christ. But faithful, consistent, loving discipline is one of the ordinary means God uses to draw our children to Jesus Christ. Let us remember, it is not discipline, however, that saves our children. It is always Jesus Christ that saves our children. But God has ordained that as a means to drawing our children to Jesus Christ. May God give to us the grace as parents and as future parents of using this means of the rod and reproof to bring our children to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us stand in prayer. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. You are welcome to make copies and give them to those in need. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. It is likely that the sermon or book that you just listened to is also available on cassette or video, or as a printed book or booklet. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780 
450-3730 by fax at 780-468-1096 or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important. When he says that God had commanded no such thing, and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.